0: Starting January 3rd, the city will require proof of vaccination for entering bars, restaurants, and gyms. And it's time for my weekly conversation with Crane's residential real estate reporter Dennis Rodkin about news from the local housing market.
1: For all those people who tell me on Twitter and may tell you, oh, nobody's going to buy a condo in Chicago because of all the things that we know are going on in Chicago, i don't believe it because the numbers say the opposite
0: including a look at how the city's condo market has revived so much that it's bringing the overall market to new heights an immersive art project documenting systemic racism in home ownership and how the surfside building collapse has prompted big new changes in the rules for selling your condo
1: two different people in the lending industry told me that in their more than two decades of working in condos They've never seen a change that involved this much more effort by the HOA.
0: I'm Amy Guth, and this is Crane's Daily Gist for Thursday, December 23rd. They called, Trust answered, and helped more than 11,000 local businesses secure funding. Learn more at Wintrust.com dailygist Daily Gist. Member FDIC. Hi there, and welcome to Crane's Daily Gist Live, brought to you by Wintrust. I'm your host, Amy Guth, and I'm joined by Crane's residential real estate reporter, Dennis Rodkin, as I am every week. And he's here to talk about news of the week from the local housing market. Hey, Dennis, how are you?
1: I'm good, Amy. How are you?
0: I'm well, thanks. It is our last one of the year. So let's start by talking about uh, condos and the housing market. You always have lots of interesting data there. What's the latest?
1: You know, honestly, this data surprised me a little bit. This is the monthly sales data. I expected it to be pretty good. But as you know, we've been watching because in recent months, we've been on the shoulders of the comparable months in 2020 when the housing market was in its in the early stages of its surge, some of the numbers have been a little bit weaker. That's what you and I have talked about right. the past two or three months. Well, not anymore. The numbers that came out for November showed that prices are up dramatically. Prices have, have gotten back to a strong point from where they were a little bit weaker for a couple of months. That's good if you're a seller, but you know, for a buyer, it does mean your affordability is starting to get eroded again. What really shows up in these numbers is a storyline that you and I have been on quite a bit. The downtown condo market really is leading the way right now. So when you get November 2021 data, it's all compared to November 2020 data. And if we think back to November 2020, That's when the condo market was really hurting because everything was shut down and there were spasms of social unrest. And so we were talking about how hard the condo market was being hit while the rest of the market was going nuts. Well, if you think of the whole housing market as like a symphony right now, the condo market is the featured soloist. Here are the numbers. Chicago condo sales were up 32% in November from a year before. The market overall was up 15% in sales. So what we're looking at is the condos have really sort of pulled everything forward. And then the thing that really stood out for me is looking at metro area home sales, condos, houses, whatever it is, nine counties, not just the city. Home sales were up 1.2%. That seems sort of slight, but it's above November, 2020, when we had one of the biggest surges in sales, it's a little bit standing on top of a very great height. But here's what's really interesting. In November 2021, there were 120 homes more sold in the nine county region than in November 2020. If you just look at Chicago condos, there were 344 condos more sold in November than in November 2020. So 120 more homes sold in the market overall, 344 city condos which means that surge that the city condo market has been having that incredible revival as people have swept in as we've discussed because of the bargain prices and other reasons really sort of put the market over the top without that surge in condo sales our sales would have dipped in november a little bit which they did nationwide so interesting yeah our market is up 1.2 percent in sales in november 2021 from November 2020 nationwide data that came out the same day sales were down 2% nationwide and again for the same reason which is that November 2020 was like oh my god time yeah and so November 2021 has a hard time sort of surpassing that so for all those people who tell me on Twitter and may tell you oh nobody's going to buy a condo in Chicago because of all the things that we know are going on in Chicago I don't believe it because the numbers say the opposite.
0: I feel like there was no way we could top what happened. I mean, there were so many people buying last year. But also interesting to me, you and I have been talking about this for such a long time, that to see Chicago leading a number, the only reason we usually are standing out is because we're lagging behind the national number, but that we're leading ahead of the national trend. That's really interesting to me.
1: Yeah. And all of that is because of the downtown condo market. Yeah. I am not unaware in case anybody's watching of the crime issues. I'm not unaware of the fact that people are going back to offices later than we anticipated because of course the virus is raging again. All of that is true. However, what is not true, which a lot of people will tell you, is that nobody's going to buy a home in downtown Chicago. And as you know, Albie Galoon, who covers apartments, can say the same thing about the apartment market downtown. Fans of downtown Chicago, here is some raw meat for you.
0: Well, but nonetheless, people are still going to read only the headline and want to argue with with us both on Twitter because that's what happens. I wish if we had a dollar for every time we said that was covered in the story or that oh, was yes. covered in the podcast.
1: You know it drives me nuts, and and uh, yes, and people people also will tell you that you're just wrong.
0: Yeah, um, sure.
1: Which is a problem because I got the numbers right here. That's right. That's These, when I say-, say very very clearly that our condo market is surging.
0: When people tell me I'm wrong, I just say, hey, man, it's Dennis's story, not mine. (laughs) 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 him." I don't. I don't pass the buck. I take the hit with you, Dennis. All right. Let's talk about um, the Surfside condo collapse. That prompted a lot of buildings to kind of take a look at some, you know, some safety rules, things like that. But this has prompted a new rule for selling your condo. What does that mean?
1: This is something that people really need to pay attention to. If they are buying or selling a condo in Chicago, it is already in effect. It's going to be market wide in 2022. The two big mortgage backers, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac have new rules that essentially say as a seller, you need to verify that your building does not have any deferred maintenance that is unbudgeted because if, if you do have any of that, They won't back a mortgage, which means pretty much that you can't sell it. There are you can sell it to a cash buyer. Um, There are ways you could sell it. But condo sellers need to be very aware of what the situation is with their homeowners association, because the HOA has to provide some information to a lender anyway. Now they have to provide much more. Two different people in in the lending industry told me that in their more than two decades of working in condos. They've never seen a change that involved this much more effort by the HOA. Uh, The lender can ask for HOA meeting minutes going back six months, can ask for engineering records going back five years. They really want to get to the question of, is there anything that threatens the safety of this one unit? But the question really expands out when you live in a condo to, is there anything that threatens the safety of this In Chicago, it would be a condo building in another state. It might be, you know, condos on the ground in a in a drive through development. Sure. Um, So if your association has been deferring maintenance, significant kinds of maintenance, if you've put off the maintenance because it's a million dollar job and from your assessments, you can generate one hundred thousand a month. So you're taking ten months to do it. That's one thing. But if you're not budgeting for it and it's been put off, the lender can say, almost certainly will say, nope, no loan.
0: And so then what recourse do you have? Say that you are interested in selling, you haven't been terribly inter- you know, involved in the board, and you realize, oh, there's this huge project that's potentially a hazard down the road. I mean, how does this one person who's interested in selling start putting pressure on the board to start budgeting for that?
1: That would depend on the specific homeowners association you live in. But your other alternative, let's say you've been transferred to another city and you've got yeah. to sell. Then what you can do is is say we can only sell to cash buyers, sure, which narrows, of course, the the aperture and really gets you down to a far smaller number of buyers. But the one thing to keep in mind is most of these sources. I spoke to people in in management companies as well as people in lending, and they said most buildings in chicago will be in compliance they will be eligible there's a a list a small number of buildings that are known to be ineligible Um, most buildings that haven't been checked will be eligible because we have such tight code and such tight code enforcement in chicago that very few buildings would fall through the cracks the ones that are most likely to fall through the cracks are the smaller buildings that are what's called self-managed, which means you don't have a management company dealing with your finances and things. You, the board, are the management of the building.
0: Let's move to this other story, because as soon as I saw you post this story, I was so interested to talk with you about it. And that is about an artist who is mapping Englewood homes where Black residents were denied ownership. Tell me about how she's approaching this.
1: I just think this is wonderful because Um, She talks about it as an immersive experience about, I mean, it really is, you know, you go to a living history farm to see what people wore in the 1850s and the weird little implements they used. This is a version of that. I don't mean to make a joke because this is a darker piece of history where you really could be going to a living history situation, primarily in the 1950s and 60s, but at other times as well, there was something called contract buying. Redlining and other things kept many black households from getting mortgages. So there was this alternative that speculative investors created, predatory investors created, where I'm a white owner of the property, a white investor in the property, and I sell it to a black family. Really, I should say air quotes, sell it to a black family with a land contract. First of all, I jack up the price. You're gonna pay far more than a white buyer would have paid from me anyway. And I lay over it so many fees and so many penalties that if you miss one payment, I'm likely to seize that property back. You think you're buying the property under contract, but really you end up renting. You end up Mm -hmm. never, you don't get any equity in the home. Under a conventional mortgage, you're building up equity with each payment you make. In the case of contract ownership, you don't get any equity until you actually take the home from the speculator and that's when your contract is paid off this is clearly all built to put all the advantage all the financial advantage to the white investor and take it all away from the black household because it's hard to call them homeowners because yeah. they never do end up owning the homes so this is something that now of course is prohibited it doesn't happen anymore but tanika johnson got some data from there was a report done on contract lending in Chicago. And it found that at least $3 billion was transferred out of black communities into white speculators' pockets in the 50s and 60s in Chicago alone by a contract buying. She is going to have maps of the whole city, but she has a map for Englewood and West Englewood, what's known as Greater Englewood, where in the 50s and 60s, there were about 200 homes owned this way in this contract buying situation and she's basically creating a walking tour. There are signs she's in January, she'll put up the first two. She expects to get up 15 pretty soon, and there will be more, Uh, and we'll talk about what those 15 are, where you'll walk up in front of the house, and it says, this house was purchased by so-and-so for this amount, and sold to so-and-so under a contract for far more. She showed me some examples. The second so-and-so would be that black household that we're paying the contract owner, generally a white contract owner. She also has a podcast where they're talking about this phenomenon as well as these individual houses. And you also will have the map of all the homes, not just these signs. It's, I mean, you know, we've talked about the idea of the black house movement, where seeing where black history was made at Muddy Waters's house, at Emmett Till's home and all the others. This is something, this is another piece of that. This is where money was siphoned out of black households, household wealth, black families, let's say household wealth, because I'm trying not to refer to them as black homeowners because they never got there. Yeah. Black um, families, household wealth, the money was siphoned right out of them and into the pockets of these investors, billions of dollars. And so you can go and look at these individual homes The first 15 she's putting the signs up in front of are now either vacant houses or vacant lots where the house has been removed. She wants to expand, she wants to, she has all the houses, wants to approach the people who live in these houses presently, or currently I should say, um, and get them on the the tour as well. So that for the most part, these would not be the people who contract bought it in the fifties and sixties. So the number could grow from 15, but it's I mean, it's it, like it puts in stark relief what happened in those neighborhoods in in this case, in Englewood and West, West Englewood, but in Austin and everywhere else that this was happening in the middle of the 20th century. Housing was a path to household wealth for the middle class. Tanika's first project that a lot of people might know about was called Folded Map. I know. Yeah. She, yeah. It, she's amazing. Comparable houses on the north and south sides you know, let's just say 7,000 North Paulina and 7,000 South Paulina. I don't know if she did those two addresses. And here's what it looks like North, and here's what it looks like South. Anybody who has wandered around the South and North sides of the city knows that there are dramatic differences. She did that in a photographic way. And now with this this exhibit called Inequity for Sale, she's showing, you know, here were middle-class houses that people came to Englewood to, to become homeowners Black families came to Englewood hoping to become homeowners and ride that escalator of household wealth up. They had other reasons to do it as well, but that would be the financial side. And it was taken away from them. It was stolen from them. And a lot of other problems cascade from there, including many of these houses don't look like their comparable house in Avondale or Bucktown.
0: Yeah. What a brilliant project. I mean, that's so creative to look at that piece of data and say, here's what I'm going to do. I mean, I thought her map project was fascinating, too. And this is just another layer from her that's so interesting.
1: It really is. And it like it takes you right in. You know, it's one thing to read sort of uh, contract buying was was a real scourge. Yeah. But then you go and look at the neighborhood, look at these individual houses, look at the context of them and realize. And this is how that scourge played out.
0: Right. And, And there's something. Uh, a lot more stark about standing in front of a house and seeing that sign and seeing those numbers because then it's like you can imagine a a family standing in front of that house with the same dreams as any other family of we want to build wealth we want to raise a family here we want to get old here whatever you know all the things that every family dreams of and that being kept out of reach by this systemic racism
1: yeah exactly yeah this is I mean this is like as overt an example of systemic racism as You can imagine one family can build up household wealth by buying a house and the other family, because of their race, cannot build up household wealth by buying a house. And that's, say, 1955, 1960. Here's how that plays out 60 years later.
0: Yeah. All right. we got a couple more stories to talk about. Uh, Let's talk about a Gold Coast mansion. The buyers got a little bit of a surprise. Tell me what happened.
1: Yeah, you know, this I was surprised when I heard it. I actually had to check to be sure that this was correct. And it was these people bought a house on the Gold Coast for a little under $2.9 million. And after they bought it, they found out that there's an easement on the inside of the house. They can't make substantial changes to the inside of their home because it has an easement on it. An easement is essentially you give the rights to, in this case, Landmarks, Illinois. Landmarks, Illinois, has 504 easements, I found in the course of reporting this story. This one is one of three in private homes where the interior is protected from change. And the other two are actual historical designs where the homeowner gave that easement to Landmarks, Illinois, because of specific elements of the interior. One is a house in River Forest that you and I have talked about that used to be a women's club and has an auditorium oh, yeah, yeah. at the main room. And that auditorium is protected. This house on the Gold Coast really is unique in that the reason it's protected is that it looks really cool. It was built in the 1880s. It has an amazing amount of woodwork, stained glass, marble, tile, all sorts of things from the 1880s. Much of it never touched, never changed. It was built in the 1880s. In the 1980s, The owner, who had done some restoration but had continued to preserve all this stuff, gave an easement to Landmarks Illinois saying, you can't touch any of this. You can't change any of this without permission from Landmarks Illinois. You also, you can't expand the house vertically or horizontally. They have a facade easement as well. So that was put on in 1989. In 2018, a couple bought the house from that same owner. As they say, they weren't told there was an easement. I looked, it's not mentioned in the real estate listing. It's after they buy the house that it turns out there's this easement, which should have turned up when you buy a house or when you're buying a house, there's a title search going through all the public records. Are there any, are there liens of any kind from tradespeople who were never paid, whatever it would be. And I found that the 27th document in the file, in the online file for this house is this easement from 1989. Somehow, don't know how, The title company did not find that the lawsuit now is not between the homeowners and landmarks, Illinois. They're not saying we shouldn't have this easement. You need to take it away. They're saying we should have known there was an easement. You, the title company, Chicago title, should have found it. Chicago title wouldn't talk to me. The homeowners wouldn't talk to me. The homeowners lawyer wouldn't talk to me. But reading through the lawsuit, I find that they didn't know it was there they didn't know they couldn't change it they don't say in the lawsuit and we want to rip it all out uh it seems like it's a little bit more of a property rights question if you can't change this house you don't have any rights over your interior they're suing for an unspecified amount that they consider the decline in value of the house due to its having this control over the interior it's remarkable. I've never seen anything like this. And like I said, I was surprised. I thought, no, this this can't be right. This, this doesn't exist. Well, that's because there's basically three out of 504. So it's really rare in, in Illinois alone. And I really wish the homeowners w- would talk to me because what I'd like to know is, were you planning to rip out all this wood in the foyer? I don't know that they were, and I'm not going to say that they were because we have no idea. Yeah. But what is it that you would change that hasn't been changed since the 1880s, it's a really fascinating lawsuit.
0: That's so interesting, right? Because who knows, maybe they had like, they applied for a permit and they were like, gonna totally change a bunch of stuff. And that's, you know, maybe that's how it came out. Who knows? Maybe, yeah, maybe they had just, plans. We're gonna
1: add a solarium to yeah. the top floor. We're gonna kick out the kitchen wall and expand the back or something. And, and, you know, you find out, oh, this easement says you can't expand the house. Oh, and guess what? It also says every inch of wood, every inch of marble and stained glass has to stay you and i talk all the time about responses on twitter when i put this on twitter um people were saying well who would buy a house like that and want to rip it all out well we don't know that that's what they wanted right all we know is that they found they can't and they feel that the value of the house is driven down by that and the dispute in the lawsuit is also over how much the value is driven down by another thing that isn't specified in the lawsuit this is the problem when i can only write from the court filing Um, i don't know how big a gap there is between what the title company thinks is the dimin- diminution of value, mm-hmm. and what homeowners think is the diminution of value. They had a study done, but you know, if you can't change the inside of your house, it probably is worth a little bit less. At some point, somebody may want to change that wood and they can't, which makes the house worth less on the market.
0: So you can you can do upkeep though. You can restore things as it was. Like if something yes. gets damaged, it just has to be replaced identically.
1: Um, there is a stipulation that it all has to be sort of approved by Landmarks, Illinois. And I, I do want to say nobody at Landmarks, Illinois today was there in 1989 sure. when this easement was let. And they didn't want to comment because, you know, they have no idea. They're not parties to the lawsuit, but they have sort of an approved, let's call it an approved list of vendors. They should be they should be able to tell you if you're repairing the wood or if you're replacing some damaged wood, Here's a tradesperson who does a skilled person who it knows how to do historic homes and things like that. So there are certain things they would have to do the homeowners would do where they would have to go through landmarks, Illinois. But no, you know, you're repairing a ding in the plaster, you'd just repair a ding sure. in the plaster.
0: That's so fascinating to me that I, I mean three houses in all of Illinois have this interior easement. That is super interesting.
1: Yeah. In a technical sense, seven have an interior easement, but four of them have sort of a public element. Like one is Glesner House that you can go and visit. Yeah. So if you narrow that down, I I mean, I think this is really just one of three. It's one of three fully private homes. And the other two, again, are places that have a space that was there was a reason it was protected.
0: Dennis, I need more people to call you back. This is basically my entire, this is my soap opera. This is the show I binge watch. I need to know what's happening with all the real estate. Like this these stakes are our, high. Our
1: 2021 resolution for everybody else is call Dennis.
0: Call Dennis. I will wear that on a t-shirt. Call Dennis We're back. We're
1: perfect and have no res, nothing we need to change in 2021. But all of you need to call me back.
0: For my benefit, exactly. <laughs> that's what that needs to happen. Good. Oh, good.
1: I didn't know we were going to be making New Year's resolutions, but now we have one
0: done. All right, let's talk about a, uh, a house, a departing Walgreens executive, um, and a house in Glencoe.
1: This is a man named Alexander Gourlay who, in 2013, bought a mansion on on a bluff on the bluff in Glencoe. There was the Boots Alliance Mm -hmm. merger with, or I guess it was Alliance Boots merger with Walgreens into Walgreens Boots Alliance was the later name. He came from that previous firm, bought an $8 million house in Glencoe with his wife. Earlier this year announced that he was leaving his position as co-COO and would be essentially a consultant to the company through the end of this year, through the end of 2021. Well, 2021 is over and he put his house on the market and he sold it in three days. Wow. Um, 8.68 million. It's quite a house. It was only I think it was like six years old when they bought it. But it's this sort of French provincial, you know, you look at the front and you say, oh, this you know, this is great. Then you walk out the back, which I did not do, but I saw the photos. The back of the house opens to this giant semicircular terrace. You're up on the bluff in Glencoe. I don't know the height of the bluff there, but you're above the water and you're out on this big semicircular terrace. All the rooms look at this bluestone terrace and then there are steps that go down from it through sort of a, a grassy ravine to your strip of private beach. You know, people who live on the water on the North Shore, you know, it's kind of like living on the Mediterranean, living on on the original Lake Geneva, um, Lake Como in the summer. This one, it's pretty hard to believe. It's yeah. really... It, it, really nice to go out onto that terrace. You know, you imagine we're having a party in the summer and we're out on this terrace. We can have 50, 60 people there. Some of them walk down the ravine. We've got a private strip of beach. It doesn't even matter what's in the rest of the house because we've got that. But it had 15 rooms. It had an elevator. It had a wine room. There's an office on the top floor. Uh, all It's sort of a pyramidal shaped uh, room because, it's again, it's a French provincial house. So it has sort of peaks in the roof. There's a room set into that peak that is all wrapped in wood with a, a semicircular window that looks out at the water. I mean, I can imagine how much better my stories would be if I could sit <laughs> in a room like that, looking out at Lake Michigan um, to write them.
0: I mean, I always, every time we see a picture of a, of a uh, like a library office room with the wood paneled yeah. walls and the books, I always say I would be like 10% smarter if I worked in there.
1: Oh, totally! Yeah, and this is all wood. No, no white walls at all. This is basically you're in a pyramid of wood, and you're looking out at the water. I think you'd be twenty percent smart.
0: Definitely would. Definitely would. Well, there's photos at uh, ChicagoBusiness.com if you want to go check that out. There's some. It's, it's a. I I like your idea about calling this like the Mediterranean. Let's just call it like the Mediterranean of the Midwest. (laughs) That's Glencoe. (laughs) I think there are people
1: who think that way. And Glencoe's beach, Glencoe's public beach. Which is only a few doors down from this house, does have it's sort of based on a Mediterranean theme. You go down through this station house halfway down the bluff. It I mean, you have a feel in the summer you have a feeling like you're in the Mediterranean. And did I skip over? We were talking about the the terrace and things. Did I skip over the fact that this sold in three days?
0: I mean, you mentioned it and I was gonna go back to that. That's very impressive.
1: Yeah, I don't we don't we haven't we've had very fast sales um in the market, especially the upper end of the market this year, but three days. Over eight million dollars, that's pretty unusual.
0: Yeah, and do we know anything about the buyer? Not yet. No, nothing. Again,
1: the, speaking of our New Year's resolution, I the agent for the seller nor the agent for the buyer would return my calls.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, speaking of people that need to call you, all right. <laughs> I'm just going to like years
1: resolution, everybody.
0: We're making resolutions for you, and that is called Dennis. All right. Well, um, I would normally say what's coming up in the week ahead, but nothing. So, we're going to reconvene in the new year and talk about. I'm pretty sure, we're, maybe not that first week, but pretty soon into January, we'll talk about some year end data because that's.
1: Yeah, that's what thing. my January is all about. Yeah. So, yeah, I'll see you then and uh, happy new year, Amy.
0: Happy new year to you. Coming up, Allstate raises Illinois homeowners' rates for the third year. The increase totals 30% over that period, far more than in neighboring states. We'll talk about that and more right after this. The Greater Chicago Food Depository has never faced a need so great. Food insecurity is still above pre-pandemic levels, and children are particularly at risk. Together, the Food Depository and its network of community partners can help every family in need. And they're taking on the root causes of hunger. Investing in local partnerships, providing job training, and bringing food, dignity, and hope to our neighbors. Learn more at chicagosfoodbank.org. You're listening to Crane's Daily Gist with Amy Guth. If you want to go out to eat or have a drink, work out or catch a show, get ready to show your vaccine card. Mayor Lori Lightfoot unveiled new COVID rules requiring people to prove that they've been fully vaccinated before they can enter restaurants, bars, gyms, theaters and many other public spaces starting on January 3rd. The announcement came at a City Hall news conference at which the mayor said the city needs to respond to the latest COVID wave and the public health risk it presents without causing the type of economic damage that a repeat of last year's closures could bring. Under the new rules, anyone entering a bar, restaurant, fitness center, or entertainment or recreational center that serves food will have to provide proof that they've been fully vaccinated. And that proof can come in the form of a copy, photocopy, or electronic copy of a vaccination card. And people will also have to present a photo ID. But houses of worship, grocery stores, offices and public schools will be exempt. And customers say running into a restaurant to pick up a takeout order, for example, will also be exempt. Mayor Lightfoot said, quote, given the situation, we had no choice. Also reporting that COVID hospitalizations are at nearly the highest level in a year. The mayor also said, quote, if you want to do the things you love, you must be vaccinated. UPS has agreed to buy 19 Boeing freighter jets as soaring e-commerce and snarled shipping lines led to a boom in air cargo demand. UPS plans to accept the 767 freighters between 2023 and 2025, according to a statement issued on Tuesday. The planes have a combined base value of $1.5 billion, according to aircraft appraiser Avitas, though as Bloomberg reports, customers typically receive discounts off of list prices. Nonetheless, the purchase will bolster the UPS fleet and add to a record-breaking year for Boeing's freighter sales. Air cargo demand has surged during the pandemic amid a rise in time-sensitive online shopping, that is expected to last even after the pandemic subsides. And more companies have also turned to air transport lately as ocean cargo routes continue to suffer from delays. Chicago-based McDonald's has agreed to sell Dynamic Yield, an AI startup acquired under its former CEO in 2019 for more than $300 million. They're selling the company to MasterCard for an undisclosed amount. And the deal gives MasterCard the technology used to personalize menus and browsing options online and at restaurants. McDonald's, which will remain a customer, has used Dynamic Yield in drive-thru menus and in ordering kiosks. McDonald's then-CEO Steve Easterbrook raised eyebrows at the time with the acquisition, the company's largest in decades, because the New York-based startup's business was so far afield from selling fast food. And franchisees sometimes resisted Easterbrook's push to spend on new technology, though the push to develop mobile ordering and delivery services paid off when the COVID-19 pandemic hit. The company said the transaction will close in the first half of 2022. For the third straight year, Northbrook-based Allstate is increasing homeowners' insurance rates in Illinois by nearly double digits. Crane Steve Daniels reports that about two-thirds of policyholders will see an 8% increase on average starting in February. That according to a recent filing with the Illinois Department of Insurance. And that will raise the average annual premium for each policyholder by more than $110. Bucks. About one in three Allstate homeowner customers in Illinois will get increases ranging from 2.9% to 7.6 percent, also according to the filings. But all this follows a 9 percent average rate hike in January of this year and an 8 percent average rate increase in January of 2020. So over the past three years, Allstate has increased what it charges most homeowners it covers in Illinois by a collective 30 percent, which means that the average annual premium per customer will have risen to over $1,500 when the rate increase takes effect next year from just over 1,000 in mid-2018, according to filings. As Steve Daniels also reports, a possible reason for the pricier home insurance policies are that more intense storms are occurring in Midwest states, particularly tornadoes and hailstorms. That's Crane's Daily Gist for now. Check in on our continuous newsfeed at chicagobusiness.com. Thanks so much to today's guest, Crane's residential real estate reporter, Dennis Rodkin. You can follow all of our conversations on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to find your on-demand audio. And remember to rate and review Crane's Daily Gist. Our show is produced by Todd Manley at Earsight Studios. I'm Amy Guth. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll meet you right back here next time.